Welcome to the Gateway Baptist Church podcast. This is a message from our series on the life of Joseph. Today, we look at Joseph's life and recognize that sometimes incredible things bloom in the darkness. Morning, Gateway. Whether you're joining us online or in the room, it is good to be in church, isn't it? Hey, um, if we haven't yet met, uh, my name is Brad. I'm a discipleship pastor here at a McKenzie campus. One of the benefits today of joining us online is you don't have to get that waft of sealant coming through. I'm wondering if we have some people slain in the spirit today with the, the smell of it around the place. Uh, but we are continuing today the next phase of Joseph's story. So we're turning to uh, Joseph chapter 40 today, but as we see Joseph age, as he goes from a teenager, as he gets older and begins to mature, things start to happen to him internally, but I'm sure things happen externally. I've been uh, very much reminded that I'm getting older this week. I had to get an ultrasound on my knee. It's been a bit janky for a few weeks now. Uh, and I got the ultrasound, I'm thinking, oh, what's, what's it gonna reveal? I'm gonna have a torn meniscus or a torn cartilage. What's it gonna be? The doctor gets the results back and says, Brad, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news, nothing's torn, you're fine, it's all good. I'm thinking, that's the good news, okay. He says, the bad news is you're getting older. And I was like, I'm 36, I'm think, I feel like a 22-year-old. Why, why am I getting older? Why is this starting to happen? He said, you're just getting older, Brad. You're at the stage now where you've got to start exercising your knees, doing some stretches, uh, being a bit more regular with your exercise. And I'm writing this down, I've heard this before, Doc. <sighs> getting old, it's hard, isn't it? Now, I hear the people who are old in the room just shake their heads and go, Brad, you know what you're talking about. Don't know what you're talking about, but I have realized that I'm hitting that age of my life, that kind of coming up to middle age or so uh, of my life, where you realize that men get interested in one of four things. They get interested in either lawn care, looking after their lawns at all hours of the day and night. They get interested in cars, staying up late to watch the Formula One. I see some nods around that in the room. Or they get uh, a new set of golf clubs around every Saturday morning playing golf on the links. Or the fourth one, they get really involved in learning how to smoke meat. <laughs> Anyone in this room fit into one of those four categories? Just raise a hands. Let us know online if that's you. I can see some pointings at men beside people, yeah. As you get older, we've got no hope, men. We just kind of fit into one of these four categories. The fifth one is brewing craft beer, but I'm a Baptist pastor, so I'm not allowed to endorse that at all. We just seem to fit into one of these five categories in modern Australia, don't we? As we get older, uh, we fall into it, but I want you to guess which one I've fallen into. I spent all of August at Bunnings Warehouse buying as much Yates weed and feed as I possibly could because I want my lawn to look schmick and nice. I spent August pulling out all the weeds, getting rid of all the bindies and the clover. Anyone else with me on this? You've got to look after your lawn just as winter's finishing. Yes, some good hands. I love it. It's a bit of fun. I've got some plans, but don't tell my wife Mercy yet because it's pretty expensive. I've costed up what it's gonna to cost to completely topsoil my whole lawn, make it flat as a tack. It's gonna be real expensive, so don't tell her that I've got these plans in my back pocket. As you get older, you begin to fall into these plans uh, of making my lawn flat. But as I was doing some research, and you don't often get a horticultural update from a Sunday service, but as I was doing research about what uh, bark I wanna put down in the garden bed, what plants I wanna rip out, what plants are actually poisonous in my yard for my new dog that I need to get rid of as soon as I can, what uh, uh, fruit trees might actually grow in the soil we've got, uh, what orchids I might wanna plant to have a bit of color in the garden. I did some research and I found out that there is a, an orchid called Bulbophyllum nocturnum that only blooms at nighttime. 
bit strange. We think the sun needs to come out for, for bulbs to begin to bloom in the sun. They come out when the sun comes out. This is one orchid. Discovered only a few years ago uh, the, the, that's native to PNG, uh, a, a British scientist found it, took it home, took it home and planted it in his garden at home. And as a botanist, he watched it grow and the bulb came out, ready it to sprout and nothing. All day, he waited a few days in a row. Nothing would happen. This bulb was kind of sitting there, ready to, to, to erupt into this beautiful flower, but nothing. He got up one night uh, just to go to the bathroom and realized that at nighttime, this orchid had bloomed in the dark of night. One of the very few and very rare orchids that do this, but it was the first one ever to be found only a few years ago, a Bulbophyllum nocturnum. It turns out that sometimes the most incredible things bloom in the darkest places. And that is where we come to Joseph's story today. After he's been betrayed by his brothers and thrown in the pit, after he's been sold into slavery, after he's risen to the top of a prominent household because of his diligence and faithfulness and skills that he's been given, after he's then been falsely accused of attempted rape and thrown into jail, we hear these words in Genesis 39. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. What is it about Joseph? Where he can time and time again find himself in the most frustrating, awful, uh, life-trapping circumstances, but finds the favor of God. And that God would use him towards his greater purposes, even in the pit and even in the prison. What is it about Joseph? We're gonna have a look at that today. But I reckon the key, as we heard in week one of our series, because Joseph's story is a cyclical story where he kind of realized that he's in prison again. It's the same kind of thing that's happened already. We've heard the story already. It's a cyclical story. Again, Joseph finds himself in the pit. But week one of our series, we heard Andrew Main. If you haven't heard that message, jump onto YouTube, our YouTube channel, and watch it. It's a brilliant, not now, wait till after the service is done. Watch it again. Andrew reminded us that even when Joseph was in the pit, Joseph practiced patient endurance and faithful obedience. And this again comes out in today's chapter. Now, the first big question we have when we read it is why wasn't Joseph just completely killed when he was accused of attempted rape? Why wasn't he just beheaded? That was the end of the story. Maybe because even though it was semi-acceptable for wives to sleep around in the Egyptian world, that maybe Pharaoh was so grieved, not about the affair that had happened, or the alleged affair that had happened, but so grieved that this guy who'd given him so much wealth and so much prosperity, he had to, do, he had to banish him, get rid of him from his household. Maybe he was so grieved that he didn't kill him, but sent him to not just a supermax prison, but the place where the, prisoners, uh, the royal prisoners were held. Maybe he was a bit more cushy there. He had a bit of, bit of grace and a bit of care for Joseph because of what Joseph had done, because he practiced that patient endurance and faithful obedience. Whatever the reason it is, uh, it's safe to say that God was with him uh, and saved him through the fruit of what happened to Joseph and through Joseph's life. And we see that as we get to today's part of the story, Joseph, even though he's in jail, is again, has again found favor 
in the eyes of God and people. So if you want to turn with me, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's Genesis chapter 40. It'll be on the screen. If you've got a Bible there, I'd encourage you to follow along. Uh, These are the words of Genesis chapter 40, the next part of the story. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. And he said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon." When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of those officials, and he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put a cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, he forgot him. Cue the song, Close Every Door to Me, from that musical, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I'm surprised this hasn't come up earlier, right? No, the song, close every door to me, hide all the world from me. Do you know the song? Bar all the windows, shut out the light. We get this picture of Joseph sitting in a, in a, in a jail cell, sad, rocking, on, on, on the side, feeling forgotten and lonely. And he began his story as the golden boy, favorite son and used that position to lord over his brothers. He created, rightfully or wrongfully, a, a reputation for himself. There goes that dreamer, they would say. A reputation that didn't honor his brothers or his father or his mother and eventually got him sold into slavery. In Potiphar's house, he used that position to climb the ladder 
using the blessing of the Lord to pour out wealth and favor into his master's household. But this again was always to Joseph's benefit. And when he finds himself wrongly accused of attempted rape, he is flung into jail unceremoniously. Joseph in this moment must have been wondering, what is God's plan for my life? The promise that he'd been promised, the dream that he dreamt, I had felt so far away from here. There's no ruling, no, no lording over his brothers. It's so far away from that. And at the beginning of Joseph's story, the dreams and his ability to interpret them were actually all about him. His dreams, his gift, his position in the family, where that all bowed down to him, his future. See, Joseph is given a gift and his immediate reaction is, oh, this will benefit me. As a young man, 17-year-old we hear, that's his gut reaction. But something has shifted from when he was 17 to when he's here right now in jail. Something shifted. Before he uses the gift he's been given by God to interpret the dreams, he says this, do not interpretations belong to God? It's subtle, but Joseph puts God first before he uses his gift, something we've actually not seen Joseph do yet as part of, his gift, of the gifts he's got. So he acknowledges that God's plan comes first. And the gifts he's been given are to be seen and outworked in the light of who God is and who God's called him to be in that order. Something shifted for Joseph. See, God's plan for our life will always be about serving God more than serving ourselves. Really important lesson Joseph's learning in the pit in the prison. In prison, something shifts for him where he begins to realize this. There must have been so much time for him to reflect on what, how he can use his gifts. Uh, is there even opportunity to use my gifts in this dungeon? Instead of his gifts being used for himself, it's used to glorify God. Now, he does want to try and get out of that cell. He says to the cupbearer, don't forget me when you get out. But he puts God first, something he's not done yet. He chooses to exercise the gifts he's been given faithfully to serve, God, serve God's purposes. He chooses not to be a victim of all that's befallen him, but chooses to, despite all that's happened to him, to see where God is opening doors despite the jail door being slammed shut. Something shifted for Joseph. Despite what the lyrics from the musical may suggest, we don't actually see Joseph rocking in a corner waiting for the day he gets out. His character begins to blossom. It begins to grow and shine through. His faith and what the Lord was doing in him begins to grow. While Joseph found favor in the eyes of God and the prison guards, he was placed in charge of other prisoners. This position was part of God's plan. His title and position in jail were given so that he may serve others. Again, as a younger man, Joseph used the titles as favored brother to lord over his other brothers. He was the chosen child, the golden child. Uh, he could have given, uh, he could have used that in the jail to lord over others as well. Suddenly he's in charge of all the other prisoners. He could have made them bow down to him, but he doesn't. Something's shifted again. Joseph recognized that others must come first. He shows this in how he has compassion on the cupbearer and the baker. When they are troubled by dreams, Joseph asks, asks why do you look so sad today? He's interested. He has compassion on them. He sees them before he sees himself. See, Joseph recognizes a second truth. God's plan for our life will always be about 
serving others more than ourselves. Always. Joseph had some work going on in these moments. We're looking at that already. Uh, when he's in the pit and in the prison, and as a young man, so full of himself, he no longer sits in jail as a young man, but he's a man in his late 20s or so. He sees God and the needs of others around him despite his circumstances. He may have had a long time to think this through. See, at the beginning, uh, when Joseph was sold into slavery, Scripture tells us he was 17 years old. The next chapter that Kath Talek's gonna look at next week reminds us that he's 30 by the time he gets out of prison. So some of that time, he's been in charge of part of his household, but the rest of it, the vast majority of that time, Joseph has been in prison. Some scholars think it could be even up to 12 years, but there's no, you can't, we don't actually have a number on it, but it could be anywhere up to 12 years. So let's say a decade-ish. He's trapped in prison. He's got a long time to think this through. But God had a long-term picture for Joseph that Joseph could not see. One that was developing his character to end up serving and saving many others. It was a kingdom perspective that is sometimes hard to see when you're in the midst of the pit or pain looking at the circumstances right in front of you. It's a perspective of the kingdom plan that God had had all along. And again, in the beginning of Joseph's story, he was more interested in, interested in building his own little kingdom in his family, where he would rule and reign over them. His picture in his mind was thinking about just his family, but we know God's plans are bigger than that, bigger for the serving and saving of many, many more. This narrow and immature view of what the future could look like for Joseph was stripped back in jail. That's all out of the picture for him now. He's got 10 years in the prison. But in that time, he's reshaped and reformed in the darkness of that prison cell time and time and time again. The goal would break through, show kingdom purpose for a future purpose he could not yet see. See, building our kingdom and building the kingdom of God is eerily similar. The only thing that's different is who's on the throne. God's plan for our life will always be about building his kingdom more than our own. And I think some of us need to hear that today. God's plan for our life will always be about building his kingdom more than our own little kingdom. How does Joseph remain faithful in the pit and the prison, faithful and obedient to a bigger kingdom perspective? How does Joseph seem to keep blooming in dark places? Well, Joseph proved himself to be obedient. He grew in humility and integrity in the years as a slave and as the chief of Potiphar's household. In the years or even decade that he spent in jail, Joseph learned, that, uh, learned who he was and whose he was in the dark. And that did something on the inside for Joseph because ultimately he put down his selfish dreams and his selfish ambitions aside and allows God to work through him and his gifts for the saving of others. Joseph's life ultimately points to God as the victor, not himself. See, Joseph has grown a lot over these last weeks and it reminds me, we get, we get a bit of picture and language for what Joseph's journey has been like echoed in the life and words of Jesus. If you've got a Bible there, open it to John chapter 15. We're gonna read through this chapter together. Jesus says these words, I'm the vine and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can, do no th- you, can, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. How did Joseph remain steadfast that God's plan for his life will always be about serving God more than himself? He remained in the Lord, just as Jesus says thousands of years later. Verse nine, Jesus continues, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you may have joy, that your joy may be in, sorry, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love, no one has than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. How did Joseph remain steadfast that God's plan for his life would always be about serving others more than himself? He remained in the Lord and he loved others as God had loved him. Verse 15, Jesus continues. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called your friends for everything that I called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. How did Joseph remain steadfast? That God's plan for his life would always be about building God's kingdom more than his own? He remained with the Lord. He loved others as the Lord loved him. And he partnered with God to bear fruit that will last beyond himself. See, I resonate with the story of Joseph a lot. I feel like when I was a young man, I was pretty brash and full of myself. Been given many gifts by God. I had the gift for communication, a gift for, for singing as well. And I, if you ask me when, when I was a much younger guy, bro, what's your future gonna look like? What, what's the primary gifting? Who are you? What's your identity? I would have said, I'm a worship leader. I have a voice that we were using at our church to, to lead people into spaces and moments where they connect with God. I would, had the privilege of uh, being uh, asked to, to lead our statewide youth camps for years. Uh, and leading on SU camps as our worship leader in that space and bringing people to a place where they can hear the love of God through song. And I'm a musician. I come from a family of musicians. My dad plays guitar, my mum plays bass, my brother plays drums. I play saxophone, but it's much harder to do that in a family because you drown everyone else out. So I'd sing instead. I have a musical family. I'm a musician. That's who I am. That's my identity. And as a young man, I felt like uh, that was my future. I had a prophetic word for me, actually, as I was leading worship. 
Friend of mine, an older friend of mine came to me and said, Brad, I think one day your voice is gonna lead people to the presence of God. And in my head, I'm going, great, God wants me to be a worship pastor. That was what my future looked like. In 2013, I um, actually spent a lot of, in those years leading up to 2013, spent a lot of my life uh, singing four nights a week, uh, singing worship practices a few nights a week as well. I was preaching every second Sunday-ish. I was doing radio on, in Toowoomba, Friday morning to do radio all morning, then I rock it back to youth band practice, then preach that night. It's, I'd spent a, most of my time talking. My day job at the time as well was a trainer. I was working for Scripture Union. I was doing some training with students at the time. So I was using my voice all day, every day, nonstop. In 2013, I'm standing on stage at a youth camp. Uh, a statewide youth camp, and I'm leading the congregation in this holy moment. And as I hit the top note of a song, my voice just stops. It, blow, it doesn't blow out like this, like I'm a teenage boy, but it just stopped. Air came out, nothing else, no sound, nothing. Luckily, it was near the end of the worship set, and I kind of got off stage. I was like, what's going on here? The rest of the team carried it through. But I lost my voice, so much so that I had to go to the doctor. The doctor gave me some referrals, went to a speech pathologist, got some scans, and I developed over the course of a decade or so, cracks on my vocal cords. Now, not nodules, they can kind of be fixed in some ways, but there were literal holes and cracks in my vocal cords where the muscles had just torn apart and weren't gonna come back together. Scary time for me. And the, the, I was sitting in the office of the uh, speech pathologist hearing what my future was gonna look like. But you can't sing for 12 months. I'm like, this is my identity. I'm a singer. I'm a worship leader. I'm a musician. You can't sing for 12 months. But she also said, if you don't get this fixed, you may never sing again. And I watched my world crumble around me. My identity as a worship leader, the gift that I've been given, was suddenly being stripped and robbed from me, taken away from me. Though all I had left was 12 months of speech pathology to learn how to make these muscles work that I could talk through the end of the day. And in that moment, when it was my absolute rock bottom, I felt like I had nothing left. Nothing at all. Those cracks were gonna be there forever, I was told. In that moment, I felt like I was trapped in a prison that I built for myself. Because if I'm honest, the gifts that God had given me were being used to build Brad's little kingdom. I wanted to be known I wanted to get the accolades as a worship leader. I wanted to get known for the strength of my voice to lead people into moments where they'd encounter the living God. And suddenly I'm trapped in the prison I've, I've created for myself. And in tears on most Sundays, I would sit down, stand down the front, not singing and let the tears and grief flow of what I've lost, of the grief of what I've lost. The standing in those pews, not able to sing, doing the difficult work of exercising and learning the vocal cord muscles in my voice, something else shifted. I realized that my identity had to shift from being a musician to being a child of God. God grew something in me, a humility in me, that made me realize that God and the gifts He's given me has to come first. And that any gift I've been given is a gift to give away for the sake and serving of others. God grew a humility in me as I stand in the front row, silent in the middle of worship. 
God was changing my heart. To this day, I don't sing in church. Well, I sing down the front here, but I don't sing from, with a microphone or lead worship anymore. I haven't had a miraculous healing of my voice. And if I sing too much and then speak too much, I sound like Darren Lockyer at the end of 80 minutes of football. I had a choice to make in that moment and a choice that was offered to me by the Holy Spirit's whisper. I said, Brad, do you wanna sing for your life? Or can you be an instrument with your voice in another way? And that God's, God's grace was upon me and I chose to speak. I had to turn around and let the church know um, that I couldn't be their worship leader or worship pastor anymore. And I began voice therapy, didn't sing for 12 months, haven't sung publicly since. And to this day, I don't have that healing for my singing voice, but that's okay. I've asked for it, but not been given, and that's okay. It still lacks control and power. It's four or five notes lower than it used to be, but God has also been doing a work in me and in my voice at the same time. See, my speaking voice has become strong. In the long run, I've gained a richness to my voice that I never had before. A timbre which makes it easy to listen to. You can agree with that or not, up to you. God did something by taking that away from me to give me a gift of something else that would end up being of much more importance because it was a kingdom perspective. Beyond my immediate perspective, I've lost my vocal voice, but I've gained so much more. It was 10 years ago, 2013. God is still at work in my life, bringing healing in different ways. But He also helped me see that any gift I have has to be putting God first for the service of others, for the glory of His kingdom. And I wonder if there's people sitting in here today or if you're joining us online, you're in a similar boat. It may not be singing. It may be you're feeling the loss of a hope or a dream God placed in your heart that hasn't come to fruition yet. Maybe it's a dream you've held on to for years that you were waiting to come to see come to fruition, but it's not there yet. God is with you in the waiting place. Today, I'm able to see that young, immature Brad who is building his own little kingdom and abusing the gifts he's been given has changed and been transformed. Because it turns out that sometimes the most incredible things bloom in the darkest places. It just takes time. And maybe today, you're holding on to that white knuckled, wishing God, I could use that gift. You're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us right now. The team's gonna come along and I wanna invite you just to sit as the words of this song wash over you. Maybe you wanna hold out your hands and receive from the Lord the gift of healing, the gift of His presence, the gift of perspective today as you hear the words of this song. I wanna invite you to close your eyes and hear the words today. In the pressing, you are making new eyes. In the soil, I now surrender. You are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and to your care. 
surrender my life for the first time. If that's you today, I want to invite you just with every eye closed, just to lift your hand in the room, that God can take your life, your surrendered life, and make something new out of your life. If you want that today, I want to invite you just to raise your hand right where you are. Press that button in the chat. We'd love to pray with you. God can make new things out of your life. If you've made that decision today, I'd love to pray with you. Pray along with me, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you've saved us, that you know us inside and out. And because of your great love for us, nothing can now separate us from the love of God found in Jesus. I give my life to you. I turn my heart to you and choose to live for you from this day forward. Amen. If you have made that decision today, I would love to encourage you to chat to one of our pastoral team or chat to someone on the chat today. But I also want to chat to us today. Maybe you felt that you're in this prison space. Maybe you feel like you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for God to bring breakthrough, but it's not here yet. Firstly, I want to encourage you, you're not alone. There'll be many of us in this space today, but I want to pray for you specifically. If that's you today, I want to invite you just to stand to your feet as we pray for one another. If you've been waiting for a touch of God, don't delay. Let this be the moment. I want to invite you right now, just stand where you are. If you're longing for that touch of God to break through those prison walls, you stand to your feet. Is anyone in that space today? We'd love to pray with you. Don't be afraid. This is a place where the Lord can come and minister to us exactly where we are and bring something new out of the pain we're experiencing, the longing we have and the pain we have. Is there anyone else? We'd love to just pray. Why don't we pray? If you could reach out your hand to the people who are standing, those online as well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we offer our life to you in the waiting, in the pain. God, we surrender it all. We don't have the answers. We don't know what the future will look like, just as Joseph didn't know. But we want to remain with you, focus on you, abide in you, be with you today, as if you're sitting in that jail cell with us. Speak to us. Show us who we can serve, who we can love with whatever gifts and talents we have. And give us a perspective of your kingdom we've not had before that many would come to know you through our life. We surrender it to you today, Lord Jesus. God's people pray. Amen. We want to keep praying and ministering in that moment. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come down the front during this song. If you'd like to pray with someone, come on down. But why don't we stand to our feet as you're able as we finish off our service today, turning our eyes to Jesus, who is with us in every situation. Let's worship.
forget we have our prayer team down the front if you would like prayer today but other than that have a great week we'll see you here next week we hope you've been blessed by this message we are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome you can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au